afternoon, everyone. Thank you all for coming. My name is Brianna Reese, and I'm the student coordinator of the Arlington Spectre Center. Today, we have our host, Dr. Mary Ann Wagner-Grand, and we will be talking about artificial sweeteners. At this time, I'll turn the table over to her. So, I'm Mary Ann Wagner-Graham, and this is uh, my second year here at Philadelphia University, um, and I got interested in the effects of sucralose a few years ago when a student kind of mentioned something to me about, well, why are you drinking that diet soda? So that's how I got interested in the field of sucralose. I'm Kristen Andalar, I'm a registered dietitian. This is my first semester here teaching. And I've done pediatrics and adults, and part of my clinical experience is diabetes education. Evan Lyle is director of the Spectre Center. Uh, Frank Wilkinson, I'm uh, Biological chemist. I'm the director of the biology program. I've been teaching biochemistry at Philadelphia University for 11 years. Oh, I'm Zayn Nab, and I'm a junior clinical student here. I started working with Professor Michael Graham on the effect of sucralose in the early 90s last year, and right now I'm working specifically on sucralose transmission of alpha amylase. which is sold under the trade name Splenda, and it's in a lot of our products today. And it's very difficult actually to avoid sucralose if you're trying to avoid. And I'm just wondering, in general, what are people's general impressions about sucralose? Do they consume it, and what do they think about its safety? Oh, okay, so Frank Wilkinson. So um, I guess my I'll answer this question initially from a personal standpoint, so uh, I, I have a very strong preference for sugar when I want to sweeten things. I generally avoid um, artificial sweeteners of all types, largely because I find them unpalatable. I don't think they, they taste very well, and I think that sugar tastes good. Mm -hmm. so most people do. <laughs> this is Brianna. Um, personally, I used to love artificial sweeteners, so I would um, even like sweeten my coffee and stuff with Splenda, probably like two or three Splendas I used to use in my coffees. And then I used to drink a lot of diet soda too until someone said to me too, why are you drinking that diet soda? Like, you know, if you don't, if you just drink regular Pepsi or regular Coke, it's a lot better for you. Then I Googled it and I saw all of like the side effects and everything from like Splenda and all those artificial sweeteners, which kind of like scared me and I've sort of stopped, but sometimes I'll catch myself still using Splenda, so. Oh, this is Evan. I'm confused because there's so many different products with different names, so I'm not sure which one we're talking about because I'm familiar with saccharin, Trulia, um, also what's that natural one that comes from plants, that's stevia. stevia. So how does that all separate? Are they all the same, different? So we know what we're talking about here. Well, I'm pretty focused on just the, the sucralose, which is the, under the splendid trade name, but maybe Kristen, they're yeah. different chemical compounds. I don't know exactly what they are, but for example, aspartame is two amino acids linked together. Because I, I'm beginning prepared to get scared over the next couple of minutes. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm getting scared about the right things. Um, are we just going to talk about Splenda? Well, with focus mostly on Splenda, but there has been several research studies now. For example, there was this paper in Nature in, uh, what was that, 20... 14, I think this is 2014, yes. And 
this paper, they looked at all different artificial sweeteners, including things like aspartame, right, and saccharin, and they saw that it really changes the way that the bacteria behave within the large intestine, and then that has an influence on our, our health. So, I mean, with the focus on sucralose as, you know, just the, the, the main topic, um, but these same effects are seen with other sweeteners as well. I mean, it's it's all it's a it's a personal choice, and everyone has a different genetic makeup and, and different taste preferences and stuff. So, so maybe some people are more sensitive to certain sweeteners and not to others. So, does anybody else um, use like Splenda or any of the other sweeteners? I think I was saying um, I had gestational diabetes with both of my pregnancies, and I was made to feel, my first pregnancy was 2006, so it's been a while, um, but I was made to feel very comfortable taking in Splenda because I was told it wasn't absorbed at all and it didn't cross the placenta. So I almost had a false sense of uh, security with it. Um, not really overconsumed, but what I know now, I might have decided to stay away from it. However, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics um, statement believes that it's safe for consumption. Why don't you stay away from it now, even in spite of what you just said? From my own personal research, um, my own personal opinions believe differ from the academies. And I wonder, do you know how other dietitians feel about those artificial sweeteners? I know that everyone in my department um, recommended artificial sweeteners in place of regular
development of cancer. And so that was like a big deal. I remember with the saccharin, and they pulled saccharin for a little while and said, no, 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 because it causes cancer. But then when they went back and they reviewed their study design, it was an insane amount of, of saccharin that they had dosed these rats with, and it was, it didn't fit, right? The, the study design didn't fit. So um, this one paper, they, they cite numerous studies that show that sucralose does not have uh, a carcinogenic effect. So they're focusing on development of cancer, but there's so many other things that could go wrong besides just development of cancer. So there's, there's some studies that show that uh, blood glucose levels go up higher and stay up longer when sucralose is consumed. And just getting into the, the whole who funds study, right? Um, one of the individuals on this paper um, works for Johnson & Johnson over in Fort Washington, PA, so not very far from here. And Johnson & Johnson is, you know, involved with the company's, uh, what is it, McNeil Nutritionals and Heartland Food Products Group that actually do the manufacturing Splenda. So you have to kind of look and see who was on the paper. And, and not all the data that the companies have come out to us. You say that the glucose level goes up. Mm -hmm. My question is, what effect does that have? What does it mean? Well, I can say that um, there's actually calories in Splenda, even though it's advertised as a zero calorie sweetener. There's about four calories per packet. There's a loophole that you can call something non-nutritive. There's less than one um, gram of carbohydrate. Um, it can be advertised as, per serving, it can be advertised as zero calories. So if someone is diabetic, and Splenda has zero calories. If I can use five packets, why not use 10? If I'm using it in baking, why not use a cup? And those calories can add up. So as far as affecting blood sugar, there's actual sugar in it. And it's not in the Splenda, it's in the, um, the bulking agent, which is dextrose. And if you're non-diabetic, would that make any difference? Is that any health effect if you're taking sucrose and your blood sugar goes up? It could. I mean, that's what they found in, in the um, in the Nature paper that um, people who consumed sucralose had uh, elevated blood glucose, and it stayed up longer in the blood. And so that's that's what diabetes is: is elevated blood glucose, and so it promoted a quasi-diabetic effect. And then they found that this effect was modulated by the gut bacteria. So if they had people with a different subtype of gut bacteria, we didn't see this um, prolonging the glucose in the blood effect. So it's, it's almost like sucralose is having effects on the bacteria in the gut. Um, and there's another study that was done with people who have diabetes but try to avoid artificial sweeteners. And when they gave those people sucralose, they saw that the blood glucose went up and stayed up longer and it was, um, they think, due to um, messing up the sucralose, messed up uh, glucose clearance from the blood, so taking the glucose from the blood into the cells, or further degrading glucose or packaging it away. So that was their conclusion. And there's, there hasn't been a lot of really great studies on metabolic effects with good sample sizes and a nice, you know, cross-section of the population as far as age and race, right, and, and diabetic state. Those studies haven't come out yet. 
that's accumulating in the soil. And so it's just accumulating and accumulating. Um, and sucralose actually was discovered when they were trying to make a better pesticide. So they were trying to make a chlorinated pesticide that would have the right solubility characteristics to just be effective in the environment, but to be, you know, hopefully broken down. And that's how they ended up with sucralose. It's funny how the first person decided to taste it. Yeah. I'm making this pesticide. I wonder how it tastes. <laughs> actually, it's a it's a funny story. It's, it's right here, actually. So there's this um, this chemist. His name is Bertram Fraser Reed, and he wrote a book. He wrote an autobiographical book. He got pulled into patent disputes about sucralose, and so it was between Tate and Mile, and I can't remember the other company, but. He did some work as a, a chemistry student in the labs where sucralose was first created. And so he went back and he talked to some of the people who were involved in the, man, in the um, first synthesis. And it was an accident. They started to call it serendipitose. Right? So, it was just a, so this is the um, you know, recollections from the horse's mouth. And he writes here and he says that the one um, researcher called the other researcher on the phone and said, I want you to test the compounds. But they had a very strong accent. And so it came across as, I want you to taste the compounds. And so the guy said, taste them? Said, yes, taste them. So he tasted them. So honestly, that's what he has written here. And, um, and then they were like, wow, it's really sweet. Let's put it in our coffee. No kidding. Put it in our coffee. And then they said, oh, forget it. We'll survive. And they gulped down their coffee. And so that's what this, um, right? Wow. Fraser Reed has in his memoir here. And so, yeah, so it was uh, intended to be a pesticide. I don't know. I would never have tasted it. But um, through sensory studies, they estimate that we perceive it as 600 times more sweet than sucrose. Sucrose is natural table sugar. And so I can tell you that when working with the pure sucralose in the lab, it is like seriously nasty stuff. And if it gets any little tiny particle gets airborne and gets in your mouth and your nose, it is sickeningly sweet. It is horrible. And I, I try to, you know, when I'm working with it, minimize the chance of being exposed. Crazy intensely sweet. And what we consume as Splenda is cut down with those maltodextrin and dextrose fillers. Two packs of sugar in a cup of coffee. So you're dealing with close to 200 calories. 
So you have all this that Americans are too obese. Obesity is causing all kinds of problems. Okay, let's eliminate that problem. I'll use sucrose. And now you're telling me that's no good either, because if we turn to white sugar, fine sugar, that's no good. And if we turn to this, it's no good. I think Frank brought it up. If we weigh out the, the damage done by refined sugar versus the damage done by artificial sweeteners, where does that go in? I guess it's a good question for the dietitian. Okay. And just to clear up, there's 23 calories in one individual pack of sugar. So, so I'm sorry. Yeah, so when we looked at, that was good information, <laughs> but when we weigh the damage done by white sugar, right. whether it's, you know, hormonally, because I know that has, especially with women, has some nice effects. Um, and, and of course, obesity, they're all that negative. And now you're giving me negative on sucrose. If I have to pick between negatives, where should I be picking? Because I'm not going to give them sweet. And that's, that's what's so difficult about the situation. And if you're someone who metabolizes sucrose, that's great. You know, you're lucky. Um, but you used to say that down the road, you won't be able to tolerate it and do end up developing diabetes. But as far as guiding patients, if these sweeteners are approved as safe, I think that's where our medical industry are going to continue to recommend. Let me read you this. Okay. So this is from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics position on nutritive and non-nutritive sweeteners. And this is, they didn't have this on Splenda, but on aspartame. Their conclusion statement or just for an example, use of aspartame and aspartame sweetened products as a part of a comprehensive weight loss or maintenance program by individuals may be associated with greater weight loss and may assist individuals with weight maintenance over time. So what conflicting information? How are you to know what to do? That's a great question. I'm sorry, I don't know. And especially what you, what you brought up over there is the, with a long-term study. We know we, exactly, we are, yeah. And the studies we have are not even close to the objective. So again, we're stuck in this situation. What would you rec what do you recommend to your patients or your students as what to use? Instead of saying don't use, which is not realistic. I, I think you have to go patient by patient and see what they're willing to do. If they if they want to find ways to not use artificial sweeteners and we can work in some regular sugar into the diet in a way that's safe and in moderation, then I'd rather that. But if you have someone who's drinking 12 cans of diet soda a day and you can get them down to six, then that's, so it depends on where you're starting from for each individual. Um, and I was even looking at a TED talk where this, this passionate doctor was saying how to, for people with diabetes, to eliminate really almost all of your carbohydrate intake and they'll just eat fat and protein. I don't, on how that would work long term for anyone, but it sounded great at first. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. But then who's gonna, you know, how do we know who's gonna follow that long term? So that's the other thing. What's gonna be realistic for someone long term and then try and meet them somewhere in the middle? Um, yeah, no, just to go off of what you said too, how we're kind of like stuck in the middle because we don't really know what to do or what right. to believe. And I also think that advertising, um, it's like a huge part in this too, just because say if I'm at like out to eat somewhere and you see a can of soda that's like Diet Coke and it says on it zero calories, and then there's a regular Coke next to it with 
however many calories, and it shows you everything about it. It's like myself, I would feel better almost drinking the Diet Coke because it's like, oh, I don't, I'm not consuming any calories, and I'm on a diet, whatever. So I feel like a lot of people see all these advertisements and stuff. Like I was just at um, Rita's Italian Ice last night, and I saw there was a huge advertisement, and it said, try this Italian Ice, um, sweetened with Splenda, it's like no sugar. So, it's, and I heard a lot of people in front of me asking me to try it, saying I can't believe how good this is, there's no sugar in it, but then it's kind of like, is there, like, <laughs> you really don't know who to believe in. Right. Even these studies are coming out saying, like, well, we approve it and it's safe for people to drink and to consume, but I just think it's kind of like we're stuck in the middle. We've, we've, our brains are like conditioned yeah. to see diet as better. Right, Yeah. exactly. So I think that's kind of scary, too, just because we don't really know right. what is in it. Pepsi come out with a new thing, or was it Coke? Freedom, Pepsi. or peace, or love, or whatever it is. It's a, a green thing. And it's, oh, it's yeah. lower calorie. I don't know what the heck's going on there. I can see that advertised. Yeah, it's a yeah, bizarre name. I forgot. I think Pepsi switched to Splenda not that long ago. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe Diet Pepsi is now Splenda instead of Aspartame. I went on if that's anything. No, right. No. <laughs> Okay, so I had a question regarding the soda tax, which this city has recently passed, and uh, do we have any indication that this tax is reducing consumption, and would there be a benefit for reduced soda consumption in health health-wise? Definitely be, a re you know, a benefit for reduced soda consumption, definitely. Uh, but as far as the soda tax, it's, um, it just seems to me that it's, it's not just on the bad stuff. It's not just on soda. It's Isn't it on anything that has sugar in it? Isn't it on like fruit juice and, mm. and everything? So like, it seems to me that this can only be bad for the people in Philadelphia. Like that's just my position because I, I think it's gonna be harmful to just overall health because you know, they're trying to tax the soda so people consume less soda, but they're also taxing any sugar-sweetened beverage. And so, I mean, it's already like a, a food-underserved city in a lot of places. And so I, it just seems to me like it's going to make it harder for people to eat properly on a limited budget. I mean, that's every kind of fruit juice. Not fruit juice, but like I see it's like, yeah. Yeah. Camber sandwich. Right. <laughs> okay. I love it. Okay. So that's, that's a little different. Yeah, like we would think that just taxing like these beverages would like reduce the amount of intake, but that's like completely false because I have like so many friends who like are addicted to soda, and like that tax is not going to change my mind. I'm going to keep drinking soda. Yeah, so it's like it, uh, this private companies have gained such a huge following that just taxing it would it wouldn't really change much. Well, I'd rather just going outside of the city to buy their soda. Cover the jersey.
you know, we see that sucralose does definitely have effects on bacteria. It does definitely. And the, the question is, what's the molecular origin of the effects? Because everything, every biological effect has some type of molecular interaction behind it. So there's a molecular origin for everything in biology. And so by looking at the effects of sucralose on individual enzymes that break down carbohydrates, it might give a clue as to what is the molecular action of sucralose on the cells. And so um, I'll let Zena tell you about the, the alpha amylase. And just to add to what she's been saying, um, here, right now I'm working on alpha amylase. And like alpha amylase is the enzyme that breaks down like starch and uh, cannabis in general. So what happens is that like when sucralose is um, digested, it could be like mistaken for like sucrose or any other um, sugar that has like similar um, molecular structure with sucralose. So, so sucralose will inhibit this like the breakdown of the carbohydrate like starch. And what I'm trying to figure out is like how does it do it? Like what mode of like inhibition does it take in to like break down this carbohydrate? So that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, it's a long process. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's amazing when you think about it. Like, we accept so readily, we accept that sucralose tastes sweet to us because it does. And why does it? Because it's a molecular interaction. So our sweet taste receptors in our mouth see sucralose as sucrose, the natural sugar. But the sucralose binds to that sweet taste receptor even better and more tightly then the sweet taste receptor binds to the sucrose. But you know what? Right, that's molecular interaction, we accept that. And then we turn around and say, but sucralose doesn't have any more molecular interactions anywhere else in our body, nowhere else in biology. And it's, right, and so we also have sweet taste receptors in other places, like in our pancreas and in our GI tract, especially in the duodenum, and in the brain and the hypothalamus and there's another study that just very recently came out that shows that sucralose alters thyroid hormone levels. And so you know that the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis of the body. So we have these sweet taste receptors other places. And to say definitively and authoritatively that sucralose has zero other molecular effects anywhere else, except it only binds the sweet taste receptor on the tongue, I think is a little bit, uh, for me, it's, it's unbelievable. I can't believe that. I, I strongly believe that there's other molecular effects of sucralose, but they just haven't been well described yet. So. Or even testing. Maybe they're just testing <laughs> the tongue area, not testing all these other areas as well as for effect. But how, mm -hmm. what effect could it say for the thyroid? What effect could it have on the thyroid? Well, they've already seen that it, um, is it, it depresses. I think it depresses the thyroid hormones. And so we have the sweet taste receptors in the brain and the hypothalamus, and the hypothalamus controls another gland called pituitary, and the pituitary controls the thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. Now the thyroid hormones are seriously important because they set your metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. And so if the thyroid hormones are tanking, that puts you at risk for weight gain, right? And so... So is that how that helps? I've heard that drink diet soda, you actually can gain weight. That's been out there in the press. Does that make sense? 
Is that what you're saying in a sense? Well, I, I have um, read some studies and this suggests that when you consume artificial sweeteners in diet soda, you tend to gain weight. Is that yeah, your, your body, because of the sweet taste, your body prepares itself to get a huge load of sugar. So right. you have that insulin um, response mm -hmm. and then the changes in the gut microbiome. I think it's a combination of a lot of things and I think that's why for some people um, they would be much more effective than maybe someone else depending on their genetic makeup. Psychological thing because, like, when people see diet soda, they're like, Okay, I'm not gaining anything, so I can just take more. So that could, like, you know, yeah, like increase your intake and also lead to, like, you know, basically, you know, diabetes too. Right, and it's like, who, who yeah. are consuming all these sweeteners? Mm -hmm. What population is that? You know, mm -hmm. usually it's overweight people or people with diabetes consume more of artificial sweeteners than. Than others, so how much of that is the reason? I'll have a diet coke, but I'll have three quarters of fries. So, <laughs> yeah. so do, do college students? I'm just wondering um, here on campus if uh, students drink a lot of the diet soda versus the, the natural sugar sodas. Uh, this is Christy. Um, well, actually, I, I've like never, I don't think I've ever even tried diet soda or um, Splenda or anything. My parents, uh, they're not like, you know, uh, super into like, you know, healthy alternatives, but they always just told me to stay away from it just because it's, I don't even know why, but I guess because they just thought it was unnatural, and even though so it's not that but um, yeah, so I never really, I never really get into the high of like, oh, diet soda. Well, those are quite a bit of an adjustment, right? So if you've ever seen people mistakenly pick up a diet soda for you regular soda, you can see their reaction a lot of times. I mean, it, I think it does take a bit of a psychological adjustment to adapt to diet soda, the yeah. flavor-wise. I mean, though it's sweet, and it doesn't taste the same as sugar. Yeah. So do you, do you drink the diet soda? Or? Well, I stay clear of soda. Okay. <laughs> I, do. I drink a great many other kinds of beverages, so does my opinion. Just to add to what she said, uh, she said um, yeah, I just drink the whole thing. Like, I don't think I've ever tried any like, diet beverage at all, like artificial sweetener. Like, I've always been like skeptical of like artificial sweeteners in general because, I don't know, it just sounds really like, unnatural. So I just tried the whole thing. And then when my professor mentioned it in class, I'm like, that confirms my awareness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And even when I was consuming more because of the gestational diabetes, um, I knew somehow I had a gut feeling that, that it wasn't the best idea. We have a lot secretly in places like Gum, for example, has a lot of cough drops, also cough drops have things like that. Even medications have it. Um, toothpaste has it. Um, there are many areas we're taking this in. We don't even, we're just thinking of ripping the packet, putting it in, which, uh, or getting a can of diet soda when we know we're making that choice. Many times, like, even up here with our coffee, we have sugar-free um, uh, creamer. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, well, what, why is it sweet? There's stuff going on there. You know, but the, there's no labels on it. Uh, so there's a lot of secret ways we're getting it. 
which is concerning me. And, and it is, it, and you're right, it's very difficult to avoid it. There was one study, um, it just came out, it just came out in 2017, so I think it was February of this year, and they took 18 people and they strictly counseled them to avoid superlose for two weeks. And even though these individuals were like, yes, I'm going to avoid sucralose, I'm going to totally avoid sucralose, at the end of the two-week period, they had sucralose in their urine. And, you know, so it's really hard to avoid. And there's a lot of companies that try to cut the calories now in their products, and they substitute in sucralose. So you have to constantly read the labels. You have to read the nutritional labels because um, products that you've been using for years, maybe they've changed the formula to cut the calories and they substitute in super low. So you have to be vigilant, you have to read, and you're right, it's in toothpaste, it's in pharmaceuticals, it's it's everywhere. Um, and the one thing to note too about sucralose being in the urine, you know, if something gets in your urine, that means it's been in your blood and it's been around your entire body. And so on a lot of these studies that they would say that sucralose is, con is contained within the GI tract and there's only like a, a fractional percentage that gets right into the urine. You have to understand what if that fractional percentage, it goes around your entire body in your blood and then it comes out in your urine because it gets filtered by the kidneys. But it's, um, you know, you have to understand that it binds the sweet taste receptor in the mouth so very tightly that only a small amount would be required to have an effect elsewhere in the body. You know, and even though we say, well, it's non-nutritive, it's non-caloric, it's non-metabolizable, well, the, those three things are also characteristics of most of our pharmaceutical drugs, right? So it's non-caloric, right? It's non-metabolizable, and you know, the pharmaceutical drugs have intense effects in the body in very low quantities too. So how does the kidneys handle it? Circulates. Does anyone know about that? I I I don't um, I don't know if sucralose is processed any differently than other carbohydrates, which would be excreted by the kidneys. Does anybody else know? So at, at least it's going out of the body. So when you consume sucralose, right, it's likely not accumulating in the body, which is a good thing, so at least it's going out. Um, and most of it does go out in the feces, and then the next amount goes out in the urine. Um, but when they feed radioactive sucralose to rats, they don't recover all of it. And so the question becomes, where did it go? <laughs> right? So, is it, is it still in the rat? We haven't had much in the way of controversy today, so I'll, I'll try and start a little bit with that. So I think a rebuttal to this sort of observation might be somebody would say that, well, there's a great many other things in our environment that are likewise, uh, you know, industrial pollutants and uh, other kinds of man-made products, even natural products, things like alkaloids and phenolics and things like that from plants, and, and these may persist within the body, and there's no apparent health effects when we've been consuming these things for thousands of years. So why should we be concerned about the sweeteners then? Well, I guess because it's, it's so new and we don't know. And <clears throat> some of these effects, maybe they won't show up until the next generation. 
maybe these are some effects that happen when it's crossing the, you know, the placental barrier. Maybe there are effects in children that we haven't yet kind of pinned down or traced back to sucralose exposure of the mother while they're in utero. Or if we go back to when the eggs are developing in the ovaries in the young woman, and then you have to go back to the grandmother, right? So we don't know. And sucralose has just been in our food supply in the US since 1999. So I guess it's been about, what, one generation now? About almost one generation's worth. So we, I guess we just don't know yet. So that would be what I'd say. Well, you know, maybe for some people it doesn't matter. And are there other things that you could consume that would be worse? Yes. <laughs> you know, yes, there's worse out there. And then, um, going back to your question earlier, stevia is a good, it's plant-based. I'm not, certainly not um, on biochemistry or how it works, but from what I've read and what I've heard, it's a good, more natural alternative. Social groups. Do 
people talk about artificial sweeteners and diet in general? Well, I'm a senior, so I'm 21 years old, so a lot of my friends, we do talk about artificial sweeteners a lot, and um, not so much as we used to, because I remember, um, I forget what happened, but something came out about diet soda or something within, maybe it was like two years ago, and a lot of my friends would say, like, if I was drinking diet soda, like, don't drink that, like, you know that's bad for you, like, you've heard about it, like, if you're going to drink soda, then just try, like, the real stuff. But now, again, like I see even in Canberra, like we have a thing full of like Splenda to put in your coffee and stuff. And I mean, that container is always empty when I go. So, I mean, people are using it. And I think that it's either people aren't educated about it or even if they are, it still tastes good. So why not consume it if it's not affecting you right now? So, and I also think it's just kind of like a prolonged experiment, like you said, and we're kind of the um, people to test it. So. People in my age group, um, my friends in particular, have really, I guess in the past five, seven years, have really started thinking more about health in general. And I have a few friends that have gone gluten free and stopped all artificial, you know, to the best of their ability, all artificial sweeteners. So I feel like the consciousness is raising, um, maybe because we're having kids now and um, we want to be as healthy as possible. Anybody else have any final thoughts or comments? Um, I also feel like not much research has been done on it because you know nothing controversial has happened uh, in terms of like sucrose like being really bad for our bodies and like it could be a prolonged effect in the body. So yeah, like like we are the experiment, so we'll just have to see the next few years or months if anything you know anything new comes up. I think it would be a much different discussion in 20, 30 years from now. Yeah. Let's hope it's a good discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was fine. There's just too much money involved, I think. And it's, it makes you suspect yeah. of what's happening. Yeah. I hope it's not going to be a repeat of what happened with uh, Big Tobacco. We have a long list. I want to thank you very much for coming, especially in the middle of the monsoon. Although right now the sun is out, like it never happened. Like, I'm looking. We saw this. It was uh, like a, it was a tornado out there. Now it's beautiful. So uh, that's a good sign. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you.